Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and I'm so excited about this week's guest. She's the senior editorial associate at Business of Fashion, and she's also a Lebanese-American queen. Welcome, Alexandra Mandela. Hi, Noor. Thanks for having me. Did I pronounce your last name the Lebanese cool way? You did pronounce it the Lebanese cool way, and um, I need to start pronouncing pronouncing it that way myself because I feel like um, I make it. Oh gosh, I have a delivery, but I'll keep talking. Um, I feel like I make it super palatable um, for you know, like everybody you meet day to day here in the states, and um, which you know would be like a hard K sound to be like Alexandra Mondelak, and that's just not the way we do it back home. So um, thank you for saying it correctly. I literally, we were just talking about this, how like I can barely say my own name correctly. And that's something that I'm currently working on. So in the process of learning how to introduce myself by my actual name and the way it's meant to be pronounced, I'm like, I need to make sure I'm also pronouncing everyone else's last name, like the way it's meant to be pronounced in like that annoying way where like, you know, someone like is like, oh, it's Parmesan Reggiano or whatever. Like they say it that way. I want to be that fucking annoying person (laughs) who says shit in the correct and annoying way. I don't think it's annoying. I think it's really respectful. I mean, and and that's the problem. I think that there is this, you know, whole thing where it's like, oh, it's annoying for you to pronounce things this way. Like, what are you trying to prove? And it's like, you're just trying to be respectful. That's what you're trying to prove that, that you are capable of trying or at least attempting to say things the way they're meant to be said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I feel like that conversation too has come up a lot in the last couple of weeks. I've been reporting this story for BOF um, about anti-Asian racism and mm-hmm. a thing that's come up a lot. You know, I talked to the, the founders of, of Glow Recipe and one of the women, Christine, was basically saying like, yeah, Christine is not my given name, like the name I you know was born with, but it's my American name. And mm-hmm. it's all of this just like relearning um, not only how to say, you know, l- like with an accent, your name, but like actually changing the name. And yeah. I can't even imagine what that must be like, how she thinks about her identity. So in the scheme of things, I think I'm really lucky. Um, but yeah, just what a way to start the conversation. We just went right in deep. I, oh, we went <laughs> right, right away there. You never know what's going to happen, but that's actually, <laughs> I was thinking about that also recently because, um, I feel like a lot of Asian Americans do have like their traditional name or their cultural name. And then they have like this American name and it's kind of just this assumed thing. And then also I see it a lot with Arabs too. Like, you know, you meet a Mohammed and he's going by Mo, like, you know what I mean? And it's just always trying to make ourselves, like you said, just more palatable and make everything easier for the people around us when we are, you know, these first generation Americans or whatever the case may be. And we're just, we're so kind of, it's ingrained in us to make things easier for other people. Like when I spell my, when someone says, what's your last name? I've never in my life said either El Caldi or El Khaldi. I immediately go into E as in Edward, L as in Larry, K as in Kangaroo. Like that's what I jump into because I'm like, my last name is so hard. I need to make this easier. But like, I, what, what, what the fuck does it say about me that I feel like I need to spell my last name out as soon as someone like, and not just spell it out, like spell it out was like, E as in Edward, L as in Larry, like, <laughs> that's just like a whole other thing. And I'm like, I need to stop doing this. Like, if we continue, I think to spoon feed these things to people around us, like we can't really expect them 
I don't think to even like attempt to, you know, pronounce things correctly or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I um, it's so funny. One of my best friends is, and I I'm American, but there's there's no other way to like describe her other than American. Like I'm I'm Lebanese American. She's American. Yeah, whatever. She's yeah. like pretty pretty white bread as far as that yeah, is yeah. concerned. And um, she's so sweet. Like she every time I you know I cook like Lebanese food at home or something, and she'll come over and she loves it. But the way she says some things, she'll say like zatar instead of like zatar. You yeah. know, so I was like trying to explain to, like. I didn't want to correct her because again, like you said, we don't want to be annoying or we don't want to yeah. be uh, pretentious in any way. But I'm like, Hey Lee, like this is actually how you say it. I hope that's cool. Yeah. And she's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. let me go years without yeah. saying it right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like, and I, and I, because I stalked you online, I know you um, speak French. So, but like if someone were to say brand name the wrong way, like what's that brand? Courage, courage or whatever. I don't know how to say it right. I never know how to say it right. But like, I feel like someone would very readily correct you on the spelling of what, like a French word, but like I am so embarrassed to say like, oh, it's it's actually hummus, not hummus. Like you know what I mean? Like I, I just feel like an asshole saying that, and like I don't mean to be an asshole. I'm just like, you're you're. Why are you doing this? You're so right. I didn't even think about it. And for the record, it, it's it's courage. Yeah, um, but but this is good. What? Yeah, I mean, let's we're we're all about correcting. So it's hummus now. <laughs> it's it's hummus, and I refuse. I refuse to ever say hummus. I will never say it. I I caught myself saying it once in conversation with my friend. We were talking about hummus, as you do, and she's a she's a white woman, and she kept calling it hummus. And then before I knew it, I called it hummus, and I was like, "What the fuck is happening right now? I need to stop this." <laughs> Like, and I, I will catch myself saying Ramadan and just like all of these things. And I'm like, why is this happening? And how do I make it stop? But I think it's also a part of the struggle of being an Arab American. It's like this, you have this duality and it's like very hard, I think, to find a balance between the two cultures because they are so different, like just very, very different very different. Yes. Um, uh, but I want to talk a little bit about kind of your relationship with your Lebanese um, heritage. Are both of your parents from Lebanon? My dad is. Um, he came to the States in like basically during the Civil War there. Okay. Um, and my mom is half Lebanese. So I, it's, it's funny because I, I actually look more like my dad, I think, but I'm really fair skinned. I have light eyes. Um, and so, you know, and like, obviously my name isn't really a tell either. So people don't assume that I'm Arab and it, yeah. it's, it's really created this like two culture sort of living between the two. Um, I don't, I don't know if I should go so far to say crisis of identity, but I think like you, I'm sort of like relearning how to embrace that part of my culture that I was either embarrassed about as a, as a kid or um, didn't see the value in it that I see now. Um, but, but yeah, so, so both of my parents are Lebanese. Just my dad is, is like straight off the boat. <laughs> and did you, do you feel like you grew up in like a traditionally Arab household? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're, we're Catholic Maronite Lebanese. So, I, you know, I, I don't, have to wear like hijab or anything like that. 
Um, but we, we went to church every Sunday, like everybody. And by the way, I grew up in Southeast, uh, Michigan. So Metro Detroit area, one of the largest, if not the largest Arab uh, population outside of, um, or at least in North America, I think. Um, I'll probably have to do a fact check. On that. I'm like, but, I'm like, uh, well, I'll go with it. You sounded confident when you said it. So we'll just, we'll just go with it. That's, that's a fact. Yeah. So like <laughs> all of the, like my, my parents community essentially was an Lebanese American community. And, um, you know, like my dad owns a Lebanese restaurant. That's like all we, oh my we God. knew growing up. Like it was very that's spoiled. The dream. Yeah. <laughs> but, like um, that's the dream. Yeah. I was totally like, they raised me, um, with all of the values that I, 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 I don't know. I, this is kind of weird for me because I've never really talked about this in a public way before, or like really sat back and reflected on it. But I guess, yeah, just all of the 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 sort of family based values um, that both of my parents had growing up, and I, you know, I kind of pushed back on the language part a little bit. Like Lebanese was my first language, and then once I went to school and you know, like grew up, you still understand it, but because you're not, I don't know if my dad was also like you know navigating his own path to assimilation and just preferred speaking English with us um, growing up, but. Now I find myself on the phone with him sometimes and I'll be like, Baba, Kifak, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like trying yeah. to, to, to force the conversation to be in Arabic or Lebanese because, um, I, I, I feel like I need that part of my, my identity to be more prominent now. I a hundred percent agree. Cause it's something that I feel like it's hard to appreciate when you're younger and you're living in America and you just want to fit in and, you know, you see everyone eating their, you know, turkey sandwich for lunch and you're like, <laughs> I want to eat a turkey sandwich for lunch. And, you know, just like these very little things that I feel like I never, I didn't really think were that deep until I got older, but I just remember like all of these weird things, like it was so important to me to have a denim jacket and my mom just like didn't get it she's like why the fuck do you need a denim I mean she didn't say that but she was just like why do you need a denim jacket and it just I saw all of the people in my class who like you know seemed more American with denim jackets and it was like no dude I need a denim jacket and I never I mean I was like a kid so I didn't realize what was happening but it was like all of these little things where you you just want to, you don't want to be different. You want to kind of just like fit in. And then as you get older, you realize like, well, actually like these are, you know, my culture is really cool. And you get kind of like bummed out that you didn't realize it sooner. And I don't know, for me, I, it made me feel like I was like, Oh, like I thought that I was like an individual, but apparently I'm just a fucking sheep. (laughs) And like, you know what I mean? I'm like, it really made me question like how I, my perception of myself, cause I'm like, I don't know that I'm who I thought I was. And, yeah. and I think that a part and, and realizing that, and then making the changes, like you said, whether it's like talking to my parents in Arabic more often or whatever, like it, there's just something about it that feels, it comes naturally, I find, which I also think is really interesting. Cause like that's not how I lived most of my life. And now that I'm trying to do these things, it's weird. It's, it's very innate. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I think it is innate and it's just, you know, I think rediscovery is the term I would use. Yeah. Um, rather than discovering to begin with, because like you said, it's always been there. Um, but I'm curious, have you ever been to to Palestine? 
I'm like, here, here's a journalist. We love to yeah. see it. Um, I went to Palestine once when I was like five years old. Um, and my memories of it are, um, very like, like, you know, a five-year-old's memory. But I remember the Dukans, which for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like a bodega kind of thing, you know? And that was very exciting to me every time we went to one because the people who work there are just so fucking nice. Like, they just, they were like, it was like I would go there and this guy acted like I was his grandchild and I've never <laughs> met him in my life. And he yeah. was just like, come here, my grandchild. And like, um, I was just like, sick, like, give me candy. So, yeah. but have you been to Lebanon? Yeah, so the reason I was asking you, because I, I don't know how many times you'd, you'd gone to, to Palestine, but for me, um, and this is funny too, where I, my, my, in my brain, I want to say like Lebanon, which is how yeah. you say it in Arabic, yeah. so, but I'm always like, oh, well, Do you it. know, I've been to Lebanon several yeah. times. <laughs> Lebanon. Yeah. yeah. No. Right, exactly. So, um, yeah, I've, I've been, I, I'm a dual citizen um, here and, and Lebanon, so I've been a handful of times. I was baptized there. Um, but as I got old, like the, the more recent trips I'd taken, I think the last time I was there was like 2017 or 18. So it's been a while and I was eager to go back thinking maybe like last summer before COVID obviously mm -hmm. happened. Um, but the reason I, I, I asked was because when I go there and I visit my family there, they view me as American before they view me as Lebanese. And it's it's a strange. I mean, I, I know this is not like a completely original thought, and plenty of people have felt this way too. But just you don't totally fit in there because you're not you're not there all the time. And here it's home because this is what you know. But um, there's still just that piece missing. So I, I haven't truly found out how to resolve that feeling in me. Um, but yeah, just something I. A thousand percent. And I mean, I, I went to Palestine just the one time. It was when I was five. My parents are super, because my family's from Gaza, or mm. again, they're from Gaza. Like literally yes. the entire conversation <laughs> is going to be us just repeating things the <laughs> American way versus the correct way. Um, so my parents are from Gaza and it's, it's really just getting in and out is super kind of difficult and like, it's just kind of not the safest place. So my parents would go back all the time. They just never took me because they were like, you little white girl, you're not going to make it. Like, and I remember a few years ago telling my parents, like, I really want to go to, to full scene. And my dad laughed at me. He was like, dude, like, you're not going to have a good time. Like the power goes out for like 90% of the day at that time. Like people I think would have power for like 10% of the day, literally. So he was like, dude, you're, he's like, you're going to be so fucking mad when you don't not only have electricity, but you don't have Wi-Fi." He's like, I've seen you on your phone. Like you're not going to be okay with this. And just like little things like that. So my parents, I think also very much so view me more so as an American than um, an Arab. And I think going overseas, I mean, Anytime I've, I've, you know, gone to an Arab country, I am the, I am the American girl. You know what I mean? And it's, I don't know about you, but like, I speak Arabic pretty fluently. So, and like, I would say I don't have an accent. Like, I, I think I have a pretty great Arabic accent and they can still tell that I'm not like, I'm not, a, it's not my native tongue. Like they still fucking know. And I'm like, I think I sound so much like an Al Jazeera <laughs> reporter. How is it that you are able to know that I'm not an Al Jazeera reporter? 
Do you think there are other tells? Because I'm curious. I mean, for me, again, it's sort of like I don't look super Arab. So I think that's yeah. my tell. But like, do you yeah. think it's it's like cl- everything from clothes to mannerisms? I always wonder about that. Like as an American, do I carry myself differently? Absolutely. I mean, uh, like just from the way my dad is like a very old man, old Palestinian man. He's 75 years old. He is like so Palestinian. It hurts. Like he is, he is like the epitome of like what Palestine represents. And like the things he thinks I do that are weird, that are super normal makes me know that I'm like, this is how, this is how they know. He's like, why do you like he gets really annoyed when I do like a French tuck in my shirt? It like makes him <laughs> irrationally annoyed. And it's just because like he like that's just not something that girls do or people in general do in Arab countries, like or in Palestine, I guess. Like that's not a typical shirt tucking style. Like you either you tuck it in all the way or like you leave it out. But what the fuck is a French tuck? Like they're like, <laughs> what, like why are you doing this? I, I feel like Lebanon is a little bit more French. So maybe they're down with the French tuck. But like, apparently Palestine, they're, they're anti French tuck. It's a weird thing to do. And every time I do it without fail, my dad is like, I just why are you doing this? Like either tuck in your shirt or untuck your shirt. Like what's what's what is this thing that you're doing? I'm like, Dad, it's it's wow. a vibe. I had no idea. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, um, it just, it's, it's so many things and it's, it's hard, like you said, and again, just to reiterate, like none of this is like, oh, we're, we're having these original thoughts, but then again, like everything is just kind of a fucking copy of a copy. So it's fine. But I think it's like getting older and like navigating this like process of like rediscovering your identity and culture and kind of finding, I think a healthy balance between the two, because, you know, with everything being said, I love American culture in a lot of ways. Like I, like there are so many things about our Western culture that I really identify with and I really love. And, um, I mean the same goes for Arab culture, but I think that for me, there's just like a lot of things that would be hard for me to, to, to cope with if I lived in an Arab country that like things that you wouldn't even think of. And then you talk to someone who lives there and they're like, Oh yeah, this is illegal or this is that. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, especially as a woman. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like, like I, I had a guest on and she was telling me that in Dubai, like if you're an unmarried woman trying to get like an apartment alone, like you need like your dad to like sign off on it. Mm-hmm. And so, I was like, what? Yeah. So my, um, one of my, my dad has three sisters and one of them is married to a Muslim man. And he, you know, so you know all about that. Like she doesn't have any of the, the legal rights, I guess you would say under their marriage. Um, so like they're separated. Wait, what do you mean? Like, so for example, like, if she leaves him, basically, like she doesn't, I don't know the exact like legal stipulation or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. Culturally, if she leaves him, like he's not giving her anything. Um, and they live like completely separate lives now. Like I, I'm pretty sure he's in Saudi Arabia and, and she's in Beirut. So it's, it's. Oh, he just sounds like, like, I'm going to go ahead and say he sounds like an asshole because he's manipulating religion as people have done since, you know, the yeah, religion. Sorry, I didn't mean to like, no, 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 that. you're like, all no, men you're, are like that. That's totally not what I meant. Most but I, of them are. So you're totally. <laughs> no, God. Now I'm like, oh God, what did I do? What did I say? No, 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 but no, no, no. Right. I think it is him. He's an asshole. <laughs> because I'm like, technically um, in Islam, like, so there's something. So do you know what a mahir is? No. 
Okay, so mahir is a dowry. And so a part of like Islamic, this is going to be a little Islamic 101 class, but like, so a part of like your marriage contract religiously in Islam, you have something called a dowry that you give the woman that's agreed upon prior to marriage. It's like in your legal contract. And there's something called mu'akhar, which is, I don't know what the exact translation of it would be, but it's basically like, if you guys get a divorce, this is what you have to give her. And it's kind of like a prenup nowadays where it's like, you can, you can add whatever, you know, stipulations you want to add to it but typically in an islamic contract there has to be agreed upon amount that you give your wife um as soon as you get married and then if that marriage ends this is what she is you owe her basically yeah and it's typically like a pretty decent amount of money um but then again like i said like a lot of times people just he probably is taking advantage of the fact that she's not muslim so she doesn't know yeah. like you know right. what i mean and just kind of using it like to as like a tool against her which is i mean fucked up yeah oh god um <laughs> how do we pivot from here i'm like honestly i'm like we could go anywhere but what I, I i do think is interesting is that so i was looking at you know what you studied in school and i i was like how did you how did you go from there to to journalism and was journalism something you were always interested in and you just weren't sure what to do with it I want to I want to hear about like your kind of your little career journey or not little <laughs> but you know what I mean yeah no I got to um okay so yeah I I went to the University of Michigan um was really blessed to have um a, a really great education um privileged my parents could could help me pay for it really just pay for it to be honest yeah um I studied, uh, they have a degree there called PPE, which is philosophy, politics, economics. And then I minored in French and all of my, uh, internships were in business journalism specifically. So I get in like, you know, I was on school paper and high school and college. So I think that was always the direction that I was headed. Um, in terms of how I got into writing at all, I think it was sort of like, you know, when you're, when you're, again, this is sort of the cultural element coming in where, um, the expectation was that you or you studied when you came home from school, like you didn't mm -hmm. hang out with your friends during the week. You know what I mean? That wasn't a thing. Um, and so it was like instilled in me really early to be a good student. And, uh, and so, you know, you're decent in all of these subjects and you have these teachers, I think, who make a bigger impression on your life or, or guide you and say, Hey, you're really good at writing. Why don't you do this? And I, I think I had a lot of that and I didn't have a lot of teachers who were like, Hey, you're really great at math, you know, yeah. even though you're getting A's in the class. Yeah. Um, and so I think again, sort of like steered in that direction. Uh and and yeah, I I Michigan has a really great network, the University of Michigan to be to be exact, has a really great um network of alumni. And I really tapped into that when I was um trying to find internships in New York. I, I didn't really know anybody here. My parents um, are, are working class, I guess, like middle class, working class. I don't know what like the proper terminology is. So they didn't have like, even though I, I am privileged in so many senses of the word, I didn't come from a background where like a lot of people who, who go on to work at like Condé Nast or other publishing where the, you know, pay is not that great. Um, I didn't have that kind of backing, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I just like hustled to get to New York, knew I wanted to be in the city. Um, I always wrestled with, I, I loved fashion, but I wrestled with how to 
include that in any kind of career just because again for me and maybe this is like an immigrant thing too where it's like it didn't feel um substantive enough at the time which isn't to say that it isn't but you know all of my parents uh friends children and you know all of my peers like when we'd go to church on sunday or whatever the case was or like go to a halfway and stuff everybody's like oh i'm gonna be a doctor i'm this i'm that i'm this i'm that and it's like all of these professional vocations um Uh and so not only was journalism already kind of like to the left of that but then fashion journalism on top of it wasn't so i kind of reconciled it by doing business journalism I mean, honestly, like I, I definitely like can relate to that because it's just, and also like, I feel like the fashion world is just, I think it's, it's changing so much now, but for a long time, it was this thing where it's like, you, how do you even get into it? Like, how do you become a part of it? Like you need to know people, like you need to like have all these connections and it's, it's just for me, it just seems so out of reach for a very long time to even, you know, break into the fashion space in any capacity, because it just felt very like exclusive. And very much so like you need to either know the right people or have gone to the right schools or, you know, had, you know, wealthy parents to be a part of it. And so I always think it's really interesting when I meet people who, who didn't take that kind of, um, route and and found a way in and and also yeah like I think you know being children of immigrants just generally speaking whether you're Arab or not I think your parents will for the most part are super kind of academically um driven parent like they, they just want you to get as many degrees as possible in whatever feels as stable as possible like my mom literally texted me this morning do you want to get another, or she was like, just telling me like, she's like getting a master's degree is like super easy online right now. And like, you should just like get a, you just get one, like just for like funsies. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, but like this, just this idea, this idea that like, you need to have these, like, this is the formula to a successful life. And it's like, these are like very stable careers, like being a doctor or being an engineer where people will always need this. So this is a good way to like invest your time in your future. And I think another point too, that I was thinking of for us, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you're, I'm 27, but when I was growing up, like um, social media wasn't what it is today. And it's like yeah. pr- particularly Instagram, you know what I mean? Where you feel like you can follow somebody and you're kind of seeing into their life. It wasn't like that at all. So I remember like when I was very young and I had like a Teen Vogue subscription or something, Amy Astley was the editor at the time. And obviously, you know, my mom's like understanding of fashion um, is, is, I guess, like commercially speaking, like pretty good, but you know, it's not like an industry breadth of knowledge. She she was like, Oh, you know, if you ever wanted to get into fashion one day, like, why don't you just write Anna Wintour a letter? And it's like, uh, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I know I'm, I'm, I'm in some senses, like, I'm, I'm really happy that um, kids today who don't have the kind of access to that world have Instagram. Um, I get messages all the time from people who are like, um, hey, can you, you know, like, I, I just don't even know where to begin with this. And like, it's just, I feel like it's, it's part of my responsibility to widen the scope of who enters the fashion space. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, first of all, I mean, that's really commendable that you are like, was so willing. And, and, and I think that that's a really important thing, especially, you know, for younger 
you know, women and Arab women who are living in America and like creating these opportunities, helping them, giving them this information. Like, like I know for me, social media is, is just working in social media. Like it's, I never realize how complex it is until I explain it or try to explain what I do to someone else and realize it's very difficult to explain what it is that I do. And it's also because it's still pretty new. It's not like there are these hard fat, like, you know what I mean? Like how much do I charge? How much this, that, like contracts, all these things, like they vary so greatly that like, I know that when I was starting, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. And it's not like there was like a resource for me to, you know, just look to and like find out. So girls will DM me and be like, Hey, like I want to work with brands. This is what they're saying to me. And I, I, those are the DMs that I always want to respond to. Cause I'm like, no, like you're, you're being taken advantage of, like totally. you don't need them. They fucking need you. Like, this is what you need to do. And I think that it's so important that we kind of do these things and help this younger generation navigate it in a way that makes it easier for them than it was for us. Because I'm just fully of the belief that like, I want people to like learn from whatever it is that I'm doing in whatever way I can and make it easier for them because it doesn't need to always be a struggle. It doesn't always need to be that hard. And it, it, I think that it's just a matter of like people feeling uncomfortable with that type of transparency. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Still. And you know, it doesn't matter how many times we say like, are we we're encouraged at work to have like transparent talks about uh, pay or anything like that. And it still doesn't really happen. Um, I'm, I'm grateful. I have like a lot of peers in the industry and coworkers, like I spent three years being a freelance writer and Mm -hmm. that was kind of how I solidified. I mean, I, I worked at Yahoo, um, on their fashion team before that was like my first fashion, uh, writing job. But after that I went freelance and really, really grateful for, for the sort of network of, of primarily women, um, who were willing to have conversations about pay. And then I found myself, you know, once I transitioned from, freelance to full-time work, finding people who are asking me those questions. And it's like, here's my entire spreadsheet of like everything XYZ paid me. Here's what you need to include in your contracts. And I think it goes for like freelancers as well as influencers or whoever else, um, really just like any creative or, or somebody seeking full-time work is like, how do I um, negotiate a better offer? Like none of this, I, I don't know. I just... I, maybe people still feel that or they, they feel embarrassed about having conversations about money. Um, and maybe this is because I spent like a lot of my early career working in personal finance journalism, but I just, um, I, there's nothing more valuable to me than that network uh, where you can actually have those like conversations and feel safe about it. Um, and, and yeah, it's always like my mission, like you said, to kind of just inform people and like if they want to do with that what they will or like you know and sometimes you can tell them what rate you got paid but their experience might be different and so they'll they'll just like know it's possible um even if they're not there yet or something not to say that I was getting like big bucks because <laughs> I mean, like, like yeah like I'm like I, I I was approached once to write or to contribute to like a publication and like they offered me an amount of money and I was like okay like whatever and I remember talking to my friend about it and she was like that's like a lot and I was like wait that's a lot like yeah. that's fucked up like they are s- seriously underpaying freelance writers like do, do, what, do people know that this is happening like I, I was like what the f-? like this like and and I think that when I read these pieces and they have such an impact and then I, and then I later find out cause I had no idea like what even the average rate was like, cause again, like 
how do you know these things? And then I like, I was like, this is really actually like fucked up. Like a lot goes into this. This is really difficult. And I think also like, there's just so many struggles as a freelancer as it is. And I think that just in general, getting paid is, is definitely up there on the list. And I follow a lot of, um, you know, writers on Twitter and, and they, they, they do be going on rants about not getting fucking paid for things, which is super messed up, like just super messed up. What are your feelings on, on Twitter in general? I was an early adopter. I loved Twitter. I was that annoying person who was constantly tweeting every thought that crossed my mind. And then, um, I would say like about four or five years ago, I just kind of lost interest. I think I was mainly concerned with Instagram and Instagram was very like it was having its moment at that time. So I was like really into Instagram. And then I kind of like fell off. And then within the last like year or so I've rediscovered Twitter. And I've, I think that the thing about Twitter is it can be a very negative place. Mm -hmm. But I also think it really depends on like who you follow. And I like a little bit of negativity if it's funny. Like, I, 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 that's my sense of humor. I like very dark, fucked up, a little bit negative, pessimistic shit. And so I love I mean, Twitter Noor, that the name of the podcast is Arab American Psycho. I think that tells it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, I I really love Twitter, honestly. Like, when I want to laugh, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Um, but what, how do you feel about Twitter? I, I uh, love it. And it's only recently that I've started to pull back, but it was like an intentional pulling back um, to make sure I'm, I'm crafting like a more uh, professional persona. Um, I like, you know, I, I, like you used it a lot at the beginning was like, you know, uh, vomiting all of my thoughts onto the internet. And, you know, we're young at that time. Like I was maybe in my late teens or something. And um, I think now I'm much more deliberate about using it as uh, either networking or professional development. Like, hey, here's my work, which you know is a whole other conversation um, in in the writing world, where it's like a lot of us feel uh, embarrassed to be self promotional, but that's just the name of the the game now. You can't not do that and expect to stand out to either employers and as much as you know, like people like the New York Times will say in their job descriptions, for example, they were hiring specifically for a fashion writer and in the job description it said like you basically can't be an influencer you can't have worked with brands blah 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 but I think any recruiter would be lying in media to say that a writer or an editor with a large following isn't more attractive um so yeah I wrestle with that but for the most part um I, I think I've sort of managed to leverage Twitter positively I enjoy your Twitter feed. I did also stalk that and followed you immediately. Um, and I and, and that's the thing, the, uh, the self promotion. I'm glad you brought that up because I was really happy when I was scrolling through that I saw that you were sharing the pieces that you had written recently, and I was like, cool, this is awesome. Like I can see a lot of things that you know she's uh, wrote about recently, and I, I think that's really cool. And never for a second when I see anyone promoting anything they've created, I've never thought like, ew, gross. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I've never thought like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why are you so obsessed with yourself? But but there is this weird kind of like shame tied to it. Like it's like, like this gauche thing to do. Like, Oh, don't, don't promote yourself. It's like, if you're not going to promote yourself, like what do you, like, what's the point? Like, what are you doing? Like if, if you're trying to work in a digital space, like it's important to 
to be promoting your own shit for people to see it because no one is just like Googling your name every day. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, how do you expect people to know what you've been up to if you're not putting it out there? And, and it's, it's also like, you know, kind of being a little bit more curated in um, your digital presence is something that I also think is a weird line for me because I love sharing or oversharing, you know, just family stuff and all these other things. But I find that I'm also very weird and protective about other things. Like I recently went on a trip with my friends. Um, it was COVID safe. We're, we're all vaccinated. Um, and we were outdoors the whole time. I promise you. I'm like, we are vaccinated. We were outdoors. We were safe. I trust, uh, I trust you. But like, it was, it was very, like, I thought about posting like a group photo And I decided not to like, I did like a little carousel on Instagram and I decided to make it like the second slide rather than the first slide, because I'm like, I want when brands look at my page, I want them to see this as like a portfolio. And I just feel like this seems unprofessional, which is a hilarious thing for me to think looks unprofessional. Again, my podcast name is Arab American Psycho. Um, And I mean, if you took a shot every time I said, fuck, you would be shit faced. Um, So like, that was a very hilarious moment for me to be like, Oh, no, I don't know, it'd be as like professional for me to do this. And I'm like, fuck, what, what am I even saying? It just it's it's so weird. Also navigating that because you know, authenticity was like a buzzword for so long. And everyone was like, I want to be authentic. I want to be authentic. But then at the same time, like you do need to like kind of be curated if you want to work in that space. And it's just like finding a balance between like showing your personality while also making yourself look appealing for potential jobs or clients. Yeah, I have I really struggle with the idea of authenticity as a journalist, because my training is to be um, sort of like a sponge. I'm constantly learning from other people. I'm f- forming my own opinions based on the reporting I do from a story and sort of like synthesizing information from there. And I, I, and this, so there's that part. And then there's also this sort of like, okay, well, I'm not going to call out, you know, like X, Y, Z on Twitter. Uh, like, you know, let's use the example of like a fashion brand or something. Right. If for for doing some some messed up stuff because I don't want that like I've been warned that you know very I'm not going to say which but like various employers have said like okay you know we work with X brands maybe like you know tone it down a little bit um, and so I think I sort of like stamped out that authenticity from 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 my own and it's like sort of just reserved for like conversations with friends in private now and I wrestle with where I would be in my career if I w- were more unabashedly um, vocal about my opinions. I feel like a lot of the time people I see, pe- I perceive that people are getting ahead um, because they aren't afraid to to say something or post like a 10, you know, slide Instagram story um, with something like super provocative. Uh, yeah, I wrestle with it. I think that there are definitely like pros and cons though of authenticity because I think you're correct like correct in the sense that like people who say that the crazy shit that we're all thinking but everyone is a little too scared or nervous to say anything because they don't want to step on anyone's toes like those are people who will go end up going viral and stuff which is awesome great cool but I think that at the same time when you are being very authentic and and saying everything that crosses your mind and you're not afraid to step on toes, I think that that also does kind of, 
you know, bite you in the ass as someone who I would say I do that quite frequently. I definitely think that it negatively impacts me in a lot of ways. I recently had um, like a network reach out to me regarding my podcast and they basically alluded to the fact that the fact my title or the name of my podcast is a little controversial. And that wasn't the first time someone had said that to me, which I thought was so weird because I was like, it's just, it's like a play on, you know, the, the book, American Psycho, like right. the title or the movie, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just kind of like a cute, funny little thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not actually like, you know, say yeah. like, it's, it was, it's not that deep. And, but I, I think that just little things like that, that you don't, that I don't think of. And then I see kind of how brands react to it. I'm like, no, I definitely think this is this is something that they're definitely considering. Or like, if you're being casted for like a modeling gig, like they ask for your Twitter, they ask for your TikTok, they ask for your Instagram, like for a reason. And it's, I think they want to see, okay, does this person have a following? But additionally, what are these person, what is this person's like beliefs? What are their thoughts? Like, you know, I've definitely tweeted a lot of pro-Palestine stuff. And I think a lot of brands might look at that and think, Mm, I don't know how I feel about this. There's nothing anti-Semitic about them, but I know that people are sensitive about that topic. But obviously my parents are Palestinian. So like, I'm going to be pro-Palestinian. I also have my own thoughts and I'm pro-Palestine. So like, it's just, it's one of those things that like, it's a really, it can work in your favor if you're controversial and you say this crazy shit. And it can also, I think, take opportunities away. Like it's, I don't know that there is like one that's better than the other. I think it just comes down to like, what's more comfortable for you. Right. Yeah. I I think I'm operating a lot within my comfort zone, but then they say, you know, growth comes when you're operating outside of that. So I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe I'll start getting really provocative on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) You're just going to start saying like, absolutely like crazy shit. I'm like, like, um, Alexandra, I don't, I I remember the little talk we had, um, Uh, but I'm, I'm really interested though, because obviously I think that you have like, you know, your job kind of revolves mainly around like fashion and marketing and PR and all these things. So I'm really interested in getting like your, your takes on just kind of the, the fashion climate. And I'm, I, you know, we've had all these digital fashion weeks during the pandemic and, and do you think that once the pandemic is over, which I actually think might happen like for a while I was like this is never going to end but I actually see a light at the end of the tunnel do you think that brands are going to like resume that traditional fashion show uh, kind of scheduling and 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 everything about it like do you think we're going to go back to that or do you think that the fashion show world is kind of going to change or I, I just I I I find it very interesting how brands have turned their digital shows into very cool things that you when you think of a digital show, that's not what you think of. So I wonder what your take is on that. Yeah, so what I will say, you know, just as like the underlying premise here is that a lot or a common refrain that I I hear a lot from sources and just like in my own um, experiences is that a lot of trends that were sort of percolating before the pandemic are now, you know, fully (laughs) spread so this idea that fashion brands were were um always going to move towards digital was something that was evident before then um but having said that i think that there sort of be um a return to fashion month as it was before for a couple of reasons uh number one as an industry thing 
I, I don't think you get the same sense of, uh, you know, for example, like buyers traveling amongst the four primary cities. So like New York, London, uh, Milan and, and Paris. So buyers traveling need to feel the clothes. And obviously there are ways around that during COVID and stuff, but they get a heightened sense of the brand and, and how other people are reacting. You know, it's, it's important for buyers to be in a room with other people and see how they're reacting to a show. Um, so, and, and, you know, for, for all of us in the industry, like the writers and sort of like the traveling fashion circus that would go around for the month, it's nice to like see all of your peers and friends in, in the industry. Um, the thing that I think would prevent industry people from, from returning to, to shows like that, or at least returning in a lim- more limited capacity is this idea that everybody is being more mindful about their, their carbon footprint. Um, so do you need to like hop on, uh, you know, a jet and then, not a jet really because like who's actually doing that, but like a plane <laughs> and um, travel for all these shows and blah, blah, blah. When you could be probably performing a lot of the same work from your home city. Um, so what I really do think will happen is a sort of hybrid uh, digital and real life fashion show experience um, for brands. I think there's really an eagerness to get back to live events. Um, it doesn't, you know, the digital events is as interesting and fun as they were. Um, to watch and kind of suss out, they don't provide the same kind of uh, metrics or or engagement in terms of for consumers um, to create that kind of like, oh, wow, you know, like that aspirational, oh my gosh, I wonder who's at this show. And, you know, that's part of like the whole influencer ecosystem too, like celebrity influencers, all of these people who go to the shows and drive hype around it. Brands really benefit off of that. And that hasn't really been replicated to the same extent on the digital front. Um, and what I, what I mentioned at the beginning that everything's sort of moving towards digital fashion, also another trend that was sort of happening in the industry before COVID specific to fashion shows was that they were becoming less trade focused and they were becoming more consumer facing, you know, everything, like every kind of show production was, uh, created with the underlying question of, okay, how do we make this stand out on Instagram or how do we make this stand out online? And so all of those experiences, like I, I can easily see, you know, one of these big luxury houses that can actually afford to put on, you know, a $500,000 show, a million dollar show, um, doing that because they just factor it into their marketing budget. Yeah. And I, I mean, I a hundred percent think that you're correct in all that, the things that you're saying, just because, you know, I know that when I was sharing, you know, sitting at a fashion show, it it definitely had much better numbers versus me like posting a photo of, you know, like a screenshot or whatever the case may be. Like people are tapping through that. They're like, I don't, what what the fuck is this? Like, you know what I mean? So I definitely think from that standpoint, like I kind of assumed, you know, brands were seeing this and knowing this and, and realizing that, you know, this isn't going to be the best way for them to get exposure for their new collections and stuff like that. But I was just kind of interested in in hearing your take on it. I also, I was like thinking about this as we were, you know, as you were talking, I, I want to know, because I feel like, I don't know if you're on TikTok. Um, I am. I, <laughs> I, I was, and I, I deleted it because I was spending too much time on it. But I, now, people send me the, the videos I need to see now. So tell me what you were going to say. <laughs> Listen, I love TikTok. I definitely spend way too much time on it. Every morning I lay in bed for an extra 45 minutes, not because I'm sleepy, but it's because I'm like, this is TikTok time. I don't know when it became designated TikTok time feels unhealthy, but also feels like <laughs> very healthy at the same time. So I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. But TikTok is, is is kind of 
pushing this idea that Instagram is dead. And when I say TikTok, I mean, like TikTokers, like just people on TikTok, whether they're um, creators, or they're just, you know, kids, you know, posting shit. Everyone is like, Instagram is dying. Instagram is fucking dying. Instagram is dying. I hate Instagram. Posting on Instagram is embarrassing. That's like the the number one thing I keep saying. People being like, ew, how embarrassing is it to post on Instagram? Like, <laughs> imagine, imagine posting on Instagram. How embarrassing is that? And I'm like, I feel like a fucking boomer right now because so I never feel embarrassed posting on Instagram. Um, but I just, I I feel like Instagram is definitely pissing people off recently a lot more like I know that when they changed the algorithm you know people were screaming about that for fucking ever but you know this this new kind of shopping aspect that's being pushed really heavily um and I know that you wrote a piece about that for um BOF about um selling fashion on Instagram I believe was the title of it Mm -hmm. and so I would what do you think Instagram is dying? Like, is is that something that you see happening? I'm like, is Instagram gonna die? Tell me. I feel like you're a fortune teller now. Um, oh gosh. All right. Well, um, I don't think Instagram is gonna die anytime soon. I think that people bemoan, you know, algorithm changes all the time, and yet they're still on the platform, right? Like their their user growth. I mean, I don't have like the numbers in front of me, but I'm confident that their their user growth is is, is fine or at least sustained for the moment. Um, and also, Instagram is is completely aware of all of the competitions why like they introduce you know things like reels even though it's like a lesser form of tiktok and doesn't really capture the same sort of magic that tiktok does so they're definitely aware and trying to pivot um in terms of the shopping thing i mean have you ever bought anything on instagram like literally never in my life right i browse i bought one lamp um (laughs) but you know what i i oh like a vintage was it vintage yeah yeah. Yes. In that sense, then yes, I have bought things off Instagram, but it's always vintage. I've never gone to like a retailer and like shopped their Instagram. To be honest, for brands, from a brand perspective, Instagram is still, I mean, you know, there's like Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. Now TikTok is sort of like emerged in this space as well that are just super, super A, safe places for brands to do business. Um, B, there are enough tools for them to to utilize, whether it's about data reporting or it's about, you know, the actual like functionality. There's like four different, you know, you could post either on like feeds, story, reels, live, TV, like all of these things just within the Instagram world. And so I think for brands, it's just easier for them. They've been doing a lot of their business on that platform for so long that it just feels like they're going to keep that machine going. And, you know, again, like, as much as people in our world or like young kids are saying like, Oh my God, it's so embarrassing to post Instagram. Um, we're saying the same thing about Facebook and Facebook is fine. Like, you know, all of our, it's as long as we're still using Instagram, people our age, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to die in the next, you know, 10 years. Um, I, I also, again, like, I'm like, I like that we, you're just reaffirming what I think, which is the most important thing to me because I like being right. So I'm really enjoying your answers. But I agree. I'm like, I don't think Instagram is dying. I don't, I don't see it dying. I'm seeing people, whether they're creators or just, you know, people on Instagram posting as they normally do, if not more, actually, because there are so many ways to post now on Instagram. I feel like I'm seeing everyone posting, you know what I mean? So I think that it's just, you know, Gen Z, uh, 
be doing their Gen Z shit. This isn't like a dig at Gen Z, but like, I just feel like they think everything is embarrassing. Like things that shouldn't be embarrassing. They're like, that's fucking embarrassing. And I'm like, what? Like, what is embarrassing about this? Like, again, like I really sounding like an old grandma right now, which is fine. I'm comfortable with it. I am someone's great aunt. So I, can I call call you Tata? You can literally call me Tata anytime you want. Tata hijab style is my favorite preferred. In fact, from here on out, I would prefer if everyone called me Tata. Tata Noor. I would fucking, and it rolls off the tongue. Tata Noor, doesn't it just sound like it's who I, I should be? It's like music to my ears. I'm going to change my name. I will start introducing myself as Tata Noor. I guarantee you people will call me Tata Noor if I tell them that that's my name. No one will question it for even a, for a fucking moment. Um, maybe maybe then brands will stop sending me a PR that's addressed to another girl named Noor who has a completely different last name. Um, so, um, but I, 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 I can't even like, it's, it's literally so comical at this point. And like, I send brands DMs being like, Hey, by the way, like my last name is Noor Kaldi. It's Noor Tagori, by the way, it's not a secret. I've talked about it on Instagram. Noor Tagori no, is very know. cool. Yeah. I like her, but like, it's comical how many things I get that are to me, but addressed to Noor Tagori. I'm just like, you really give zero fucks, huh? Like you, you really just decided like you're all the same. Um, and then just DMing brands and then having them freak the fuck out does, I'm an evil person. So it brings me a little bit of joy. Um, just watching <laughs> brands panic. Cause they're like, Oh my God, she's going to think I'm Islamophobic. I'm like, Nope, I don't think you are. I just think you're, you're uncultured. There's a big difference between the two things. Um, but yeah, I, I also would be interested in hearing your thoughts on, I think just like the general kind of influencer space and the longevity to that, because I think, you know, when, when influencers, you know, kind of started out, which is, I mean, been a while now, like I was reading fashion blogs when I was in high school, which was in 2006. And I remember Rumi Neely from fashion toast, she partnered with like forever 21 and that was in 2006. So that's crazy to me, but I, I, I feel like a lot of people are like, Oh, like influencer marketing, like it's, it doesn't have longevity. Like it's, it's gonna, you know, how could this be sustainable? And, and I only see it kind of growing and becoming a more vital part of brands marketing. Um, But obviously, again, I'm not, this isn't my bread and butter. It's, I don't really look into that, but I feel like you do. So I'm like, I want to know what you think because you have educated opinions unlike mine, which are just asshole opinions. No, but yours are definitely in the, like, they're, they're informed. You work in this space. Yeah, but like, but like I'm also <laughs> biased and like, I, like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I definitely feel very, very biased. So I will say, I don't, I think the the claims of like an influencer bubble are way overhyped, overestimate, uh, overstated. Um, I, you know, it's, it's funny like people who work in tech or whatever, are like constantly like, Oh, you know, influencers like want to look down on them. Everybody wants to look down on, right. on influencers. But the second you talk about the creator economy and you change mm-hmm. that, that vernacular, um, people are suddenly like, Whoa, there's so much money in the creator economy. Like, clubhouse and it's like so it's it's there's never going to be a lack of uh a people who want to participate in this uh this this space or like create brands around their personality and you know this has existed for uh, i don't all of modern you know whatever like modern life there's celebrities we're just calling them influencers now and they come up in a different way and um 
so, and you know, maybe the next iteration is calling them creators because it sounds or has less of a negative connotation um, to, to people who work in business around it. I don't know exactly, but there's never going to be a shortage of, of, of people who want to pursue that career. Um, I think like, you know, Gen Z, that's like one of their number one uh, stated career paths, um, which is insane. It's wild. Uh, it's, it's, it's the craziest thing that I've ever heard only because yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess, an influencer, but, like, I, there was no part of me that's, like, I'm going to go be a fucking influencer. Like, I was just, like, I like fashion. I like sharing fashion. You know what I mean? Of like, course. it really did happen very organically. And, like, obviously, it's very exciting when brands want to send you shit or pay you for shit. Like, yes, let's do this. And then to have it become my career, again, still very weird to me. But it's so mind-boggling that there are people, like, this is their their career aspiration. And I'm, like... Right fucking wild like cool but wild and you know amongst those people the 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 common like uh you know criticism is that the 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 space is so saturated so saturated but again it's going to be the sort of thing where it's like yeah people can aspire to be an influencer aspire to be a tiktok creator or whatever you know these kids want to do but at the end of the day the people who are going to be most successful most attractive to brands who by the way are still profiting heavily off of this like there's there's no chance a brand is willing to let go of the influencer economy considering how much it drives their sales um but the the people who operate in that space and still have a unique point of view um still have something interesting to say at the very least are hot at the very least are funny like (laughs) these you know what i'm saying it's like obviously the, the 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 what is the word i'm looking for like ultimate person in that space is somebody who can occupy all of those things um, but most of the time people are deeply uninteresting or, or, um, un- I, I don't want to use the word uneducated cause that's not what I mean, but I guess like, um, they don't really have like informed opinions of their own. They just like regurgitate other people's opinions, but they're kind of funny or they're kind of hot. So they kind of pop on whatever the platform is that they're using. It makes me so happy to hear you say that because again, I really, like when my opinions are validated, by <laughs> but like, no, like I just, I feel like you're an expert in this. So I, I value your opinion on it. And I, I think that for me, I can very clearly see when an influencer or creator doesn't have, for lack of better words, like educated opinions. Right. And I'm like, how are people not seeing this? Like, it's so, are you it's so apparent to me. I, yes and no. Yes, I am on Clubhouse and that I have an account. No, as in, I thought it was cool for about two days and then immediately found it incredibly fucking annoying. It's and annoying. It's like, and this I, is the place where those people who don't have those yeah. informed opinions or purely looking at it as like, oh, I'm going to use this as like my time to, to be self-promotional in the most annoying way. You're yeah, right. Uh, right, right. Exist. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't see how that, that's a platform where I'm very skeptical about growth. I feel very, I think that initially I was like, this could be something very cool that has legs. You know what I mean? And then as I started, I guess, participating in it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is something that's going to have hype for a little while and it's going to just slowly die down because I think the hype is already starting to die. And 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 I, I, I thought about dabbling in it and I talked to my friends, I'm like, maybe we should start like, you know, a room and talk about like this or that. But like at the same time, it's like, 
I don't know. There's something about it that's a little, I don't, I can't put my finger on it. It's, it just doesn't, it annoys me. It irrationally annoys me. And I think you're probably right. It's because so many people are speaking about things that they're not well versed in, which is a little bit of a pet peeve for me. I don't like when people, which is again, like, that's what I was saying. Like whenever I hear a creator talk about skincare and their skincare routine, and I can tell that they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It makes me angry, like irrationally angry because I'm like, number one, you are talking about something that you don't know anything about and potentially like, you know, I think that having issues with your using skincare that causes irritation to your skin is like not the worst of problems that you could have. But like, it's still a problem that I think would probably be upsetting to a lot of people. Like, why are you spreading false information with confidence? Like, stop doing that. Like, like, don't do that. Talk about things that you know about. That's, and that's where I think like niche comes into play. And I don't think that anyone has to have like one thing that they need to stick to. I think it's great to dabble in different things, but at the end of the day, like whatever it is that you're sharing, you should, you know, know about it to a certain degree and not just kind of regurgitate something that you saw someone else who was also not well-versed in say, and then you decided to just kind of like change a few things and make it your own. Like I see a lot of that online and it's, it's very, it's very frustrating. Cause I'm like, you know, I think that there are things that people are good at that they should focus on rather than trying to be everything. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you for sure. This is just turned into me complaining, honestly, <laughs> which is I think every episode that I've ever done on my podcast is just somehow comes full circle to nor just, nor data nor just just fucking complaining about, about things that I that I hate but um on a completely different topic and I'm this is now just me being like a little bit like nosy um okay, I, know that you, I know that your parents are like you said they're pretty traditionally Arab um and I don't know what your relationship status is in any way shape or form but do you also get pressure from your parents about like marriage or like pursuing like long-term relationships and stuff like that uh so I don't get any pressure from my parents to, to be in a relationship per se. Um, I'm really lucky in that way. Again, like the, the culture I grew up in, um, the community I grew up in, all of the girls my age basically like found boys at church from other families who, who they started dating, like, you know, quote unquote dating when you're like a young Arab girl and your, people, yeah. your parents are like, oh yeah, of course you can go to like health or whatever's house because like we know them and that's cool. And of course they have a boy their age. So it's you know, like, shit's going to pop off, you know? Right. But, a thousand um, percent. That never was my experience. And like all of those people, all of those girls, like this is great. This little, just the, the way their, their lives led them. But like they, a lot of them still live in Michigan are now married or engaged or, or have had children. Um, my life couldn't be further from that. And I'm really lucky where I don't feel the pressure um, but I will say something that's really funny is I never thought I would want to date a uh, Lebanese man as I got like, you know, growing up, I was like attracted, like blonde hair, blue eyes, Hollister, like da da da. And, and now I think I would be interested in it because I find that dating men who um, come from at least some kind of cultural background yep. that is not just like, American. I'm like, you can say it. Like, you can say it. 
why like i'm white so it's a weird like i i would say this with my friends in private like yeah look at that white girl but it's like i'm white so i don't know like there's that's another thing like when are we going to update the census so that like middle eastern is is that a thing now i don't know but anyway um i don't know i'm like i'm caucasian on any type of official document which is fucking hilarious to me well truly yeah but um no so i'm I'm really lucky in terms of the the pressure I, i i hadn't felt that but I um I I'm dating somebody now who like it's not it's just like a very new thing but he's like super European and so like more specifically grew up in Italy and and like you know his, his mom lives in like Uruguay and so it's like that is sexy to me because yeah. um there's something else there there's like an appreciation there's like different culture or value set um and like he's also interested in knowing about Lebanese culture in a way that's not fetishizing it either um you know I can't tell you how many times like growing up you're dating people and they're like oh where's Lebanon ha 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 like oh just like something bomb and it's like are you so ignorant and I don't even get it I'm sure as bad as you do because again like not hijabi um fair skin blah 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 but like are you dating? What's your experience? I am not dating. I'm like the most single person that's ever really existed, I think, at this point. Um, but I'm like, I, I, but also like, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Like, I'm, I'm very good with it because it gives me, and I am going to sound a little crazy right now, but I'm okay with it. It gives me more time to work. And I really want to make a lot of money. Um, That's that that's kind of where my focus is not in a way where I'm like, I need to buy like a mansion, like just in the sense of like, I want to like save a lot of money. Like that is that is what I feel passionately about right now. It's like saving fucking money, making money and then saving that money and investing that money. You're speaking my language. That's this is very new recent within the last like, I would say two years. And I'm just like, I need to do this for myself like why why are we not pushing women to do this at a younger age and and I don't even fault my parents for it because they are not like my parents are the type of people where like they just like want to like get rid of money like you know what I mean like it's like burning a hole in their pocket not like they want to go buy cars and shit but they just like have this problem where they just need to like get rid of their money. It's like, it's weighing on them. And so my spending and saving habits growing up were not the best. And then, you know, you, you, you get older and you have all these different responsibilities and you start thinking about like a Roth IRA and Mm -hmm. you know, all these other things. And, and it, I, I think that for me, I just kind of came to this realization where I was like, I think it's really important for me, especially in my career path, to be saving money. Like it's really important for me because I, I, at this point, again, I, I'm, I work in, you know, influencer marketing. That's my kind of primary source of income, which is, it it feels stable now, but then again, like you still kind of never know. So I'm like, I just want to make sure that I'm like comfortable and I can be independent. Financial independence, I think is the greatest form of independence. Um, So I think that, you know, it's just something that I don't even know where, how the fuck I started going off on this tangent. But yeah, I'm, I'm very into saving money right now. It's, it's super hot. I love that energy. That is sexy. There's nothing sexier than uh, a, a financially independent, informed, uh, cultured human. And we don't place enough emphasis on that trifecta. 
And and you, you know, you report a lot on like finance and stuff. Um, what do when you, like when it comes to like money and finance and saving, like are there any things that like come to mind where you're like these are some little things you can do or things you can read that will help you kind of um, understand your finances better or have a better understanding of it that are, you know, digestible for people who are listening, (laughs) who might, who might also want to start saving so that they can be just as sexy as me. Okay. Teta Nua, no one should take (laughs) financial advice from me. I, I have not been a personal finance reporter in a very long time, but what I will say is like, I do know all of the things I'm supposed to do and I kind of have those like mechanisms in place, but I'm not good about, um, like today I'm hosting like three people over for, for drinks tonight, right. At my place. And I go and spend like a stupid amount of money because I'm like, Oh, I need to have like X, Y, Z different kinds of cheeses to make sure they're comfortable. It's like, they don't give a shit about that, but all of which is to say like, yeah, make sure you're like, um, setting up like the basic stable, uh, uh, savings investment accounts. I think like younger people can be generally uh, riskier in their investments, which isn't to say that I think anybody should be on like Robin Hood tra- day trading or trying their hand at day trading. I think in the long run, um, your your returns are either worse or or maybe the same if you're kind of good at day trading than if you were just in like a traditional index fund. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I in terms of like educating people i think if you're they're just signing up for like a morning newsletter it can be anything from like uh you know i I read the robin hood newsletter or like there's other um just like financial literacy things if you're just making it more digestible for you and sort of creating that habit where like you're starting your day your morning like reading this newsletter it's putting it top of mind for you like hey this is something i'm going to be thinking about throughout the day either as it relates to like my spending or or my like overall financial literacy i think that's a great way to like start building those habits early um and then something i recently started doing again just because i'm not really good at at not impulse buying or or whatever is like i started writing down every single thing i spent money on throughout the day and i would get to the end of the week and be like why why did i buy this you know oh my so, god i need to do that i definitely yeah, need none to of do this, that I, like, I feel bad like none of this is is um no that would, novel but i'm like a very visual person and i often forget things so here here's the thing i'm great at like not making impulsive purchases in theory but then i go to whole foods <laughs> and for some reason food to me, regardless of what it is, what the cost is, is a necessity. Like I will go buy lamb at Whole Foods where I know that it's triple the price of literally anywhere else, just because I'm like, this is better lamb. I know, but here's the thing. I don't know if you feel this way, but because like Lebanese Arab culture is so focused on food, like so many other cultures, or maybe it's just because like my, my parents like entertained a lot when we were growing up. And of course, like growing up with my dad owning the restaurant, like all of right. these things where it's like, yes, I spent so much money on food where I could go, but I don't know. I have an issue. Like I don't think Trader Joe's is that good. And just to bring the conversation back to hummus, like anytime I see <laughs> chocolate, like any kind of flavored hummus, I'm like, this is a travesty. Um, I, I need to speak to a manager, put my Karen hat on. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I also, listen, I, 
there were things that I, I, I now I'm going to talk about Trader Joe's. Like it's like my ex-boyfriend, but like there were things that I really, <laughs> I really loved about Trader Joe's. But like recently, I just feel like they're trying too hard. I, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, this is a little, it's unappealing. And like, I, there are definitely things that I know are more affordable that I will sometimes go to Trader Joe's to buy because I'm like, I'm such a saver. I'm going to go buy cucumbers from Trader Joe's. But like, I just, I, I definitely think that I end up buying things that I don't fucking need at Trader Joe's, which again, like, I think it's definitely an Arab thing. I'm sure it was amplified by the fact that your dad owned a restaurant, but like, my childhood, it was like Azumas, which are like dinner gatherings. And like my mom would just go all out. And I didn't realize how influenced I was by that until I got older and started doing crazy shit. Like when my friends come over to my house, even if we're ordering Uber Eats, right? I just like need to order like a copious amount of food. Like I just, I need to get options. I'm always worried that people are hungry or, 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 or don't like something. So they need to have like backup options. Like I just need to feed people. I need to, to constantly have lots of food and be giving it to people like God, all the time. Us. If we ever get together and host, we should actually like host a dinner party. Jesus, we we, um, we would li- we would be like the most food that two people have ever just gathered just by two people. Like we could win some type of fucking record, but we should definitely definitely do that because now that I'm vaccinated, I I have given myself permission to live yeah. life again. So I've I've started alerting my friends in New York. I'm like, I'll be back. I'll be I back have before you. One word to say, which is inshallah. <laughs> exactly inshallah literally i i it's so weird because i started feeling like guilty doing things but i'm like the point of the vaccine is so that i'm not like walking around without a mask on but like the whole point is that you should be able to like resume life totally safer i know i'm halfway there i got half my i got my first shot my next one is in a couple weeks so i'll be right there with you let me tell you i I, I feel like it's a very exciting time after that first vaccine. Like, I swear to God, it's like, I was like in this weird funk. And I think I just needed to like have like a little bit of hope. And that fucking first dose of the Moderna vaccine gave me hope. And I was like, wow, life is beautiful again. Like, <laughs> may, maybe one day I will be able to show the lower part of my face. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just out here like, listen, you wear a hijab you're already covering a lot, man, to cover the rest of my face. I'm like, listen, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want this. I'm like, I need to show something. Like, I'm like I feel like I, I went to sleep on an airplane. I put an eye mask on every time I fucking fly. I literally look like I'm like trying to like hide. Like I look like <laughs> in disguise. It's like you, you could just see like a slither of my fucking forehead. I'm like, I, you know, this is oppression. Like, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm oppressing myself. I've never felt that way before, but I'm like, I need to show some skin. My face was the skin that I was showing. And I, I just, I got to do something like I might start wearing shorts. I don't know. I need to fucking show some skin. I'm like, I'm a full hijab in shorts. That's going to be my, but yeah, I'm like, I just, I think that, um, the only tips that I'm going to give you, this is an unsolicited tip about the second vaccine is that there's a lot of fear mongering, I think around the second vaccine that like, you're going to be so sick. But I genuinely think that like, if you just like, are incredibly hydrated, and this is from my I got this, this, these tips from my friend who's a doctor. So um, it's not just like my personal. (laughs) But like, she basically was like, treat it like you're about to get a cold, like you think you're gonna get a cold, 
that's your prep for the vaccine. So like lots of water, lots of vitamin C, like, you know, like just kind of like take it easy. And I did all those things. And I literally had zero post vaccine symptoms. Like thank nothing. You, not, thank you. Thank yeah, you. I'm I, glad I, you chewed me up. <laughs> I'm literally data right now. I'm everyone's data. Um, honestly, this, I could talk to you for a very long time because I feel like there are so many questions I want to ask you, but I feel like we've already gone on 7,000 tangents. So instead, I will thank you (laughs) for your time and for coming on. It's been literally such a pleasure talking to you and picking your brain and learning about you. Um, And so I want to make sure people can find you and, 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 you know, find all the things that you write online. So plug all of your things, please promote yourself. Oh, wow. All right. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. This is such a treat. And I agree, we could talk for hours. So (laughs) you're welcome in my apartment in New York anytime. Um, So people can find me on Twitter. (laughs) This feels so weird to say. I'm Um, like, plug it, plug it. Yeah, really. I'm like, smash that like button. Um, Yeah, I'm on Twitter, a Mondelec. I'm on Instagram with just like my full name, uh, Alexandra Mondelec. And um, yeah, find me on the internet, people. If you literally type her name into Google, she's written for every fucking publication that you can think of. <laughs> like, think of your favorite publication. She's probably written something for them, and it's interesting and it's cool. And I, I definitely have a very poor attention span, and I've had no trouble reading the things that you have written. So, just putting it out there, people, read her shit, spread it, post it. If you're Arab, you. support <laughs> support your local Arab fucking journalist, man. Um, and I'm going to have all of her social media stuff linked in the episode description. As always, you could follow the podcast on Instagram at Arab American Psycho, where you will see a lovely photo of Alexandra. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at Nori, where I'm just, you know, being a ridiculous fucking human being and, you know, floss your teeth, wear your sunscreen. Don't be an asshole guys. Seriously. I can't emphasize it enough. Don't be a fucking asshole. Um, and I will talk to you next Sunday. Okay.